In this episode of Desert Island Torah, we have the Zechut of Speaking to Rav Moshe Katz, Assistant Rabbi of Congregation Agudat Shalom in Stamford, Connecticut. He holds a BA in Psychology from YU, where he received the Stephen Glasdy Memorial Award for Service to the Jewish People and a Master of Science from the Azraeli Graduate School of Jewish Education, as well as Smicha from REITs. From 2018 to 2020, Rabbi Kurtz served as the rabbinic intern for the Young Israel of Plainview on Long Island. Thank you so much, Rav Moshe Kurtz, for joining us today. It's a real zechut to have you with us. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me as well. It's uh, it's a privilege to be with you and uh, with all of your listeners. So I want to share with you three different ideas that have been on my mind. And uh, the three are, one is the concept, the halakhic concept of an istinus. The second one is called onas dvarim, which is about uh, speech. And then the final idea I want to share with you has to do with the general halakhic and hashkafic ideas of bringing children into shul. And the three uh, commonalities behind these different ideas is that I, I have a vested interest in all of them. Um, that's what gets me to look into different topics. So one topic I'm looking into right now, you know, as the, I'm not sure what it's like in England, but at least here um, in the United States and Connecticut where I live, the weather is already getting warmer. And uh, so I consider myself, there's a question if I can just consider myself to be what's called an istinus. Now, what's an istinus, you might ask? So the locus classicus for this is a Gemara Meseches Brachos, a Mishnah actually there, in which uh, Rabbi Gamliel, Rachat Slayla Harishon Shemesa Ishto, unfortunately after his wife passed away, he um, actually bathed the first night afterwards. And all of his students said to him, what do you mean? You're an Avil now. How are you allowed to bathe? So he said, I'm not like everybody else. Istinisani. I am an Istinis. Now, Istinis means someone who can be extremely uncomfortable, they can't function when it comes to the heat, to the cold, and various other different things. So uh, on my end, uh, my congregants know that on Shabbos, um, I am not always so make, I don't always rely on the air conditioning to be functioning up to, up to my standards. So uh, they know that I have two fans on that I activate, of course, before Shabbos. I have a mounted fan right where I sit, and then I have a second portable fan, which is, of course, again, activated before Shabbos. No issues, no option, Elsa either, which I can carry around with me because otherwise I have a hard time functioning. So because I had this vested interest, I was curious to look into what the parameters of this were. And I was I, I found out that I was actually in good company because I discovered not only Ram Gamliel, but then you look at the Amorai and you look in the Gemara, Rev Yosef, in a number of places, also reports that he had similar kind of struggles and challenges. Uh, one instance comes up in Baba Basra in terms of the laws of Hilchoshkenim. Another one comes up a little bit more well-known in Meseches Sukkah, in the general topic of Mitzta'er, people who have dispensations from sitting in a sukkah because they're uncomfortable. So Rav Yosef also, he says, Kevin Danina Dati, Dami So even though most people wouldn't be uncomfortable if the the schach uh, was beginning to shed away a little bit and coming into everything. For him, it was considered problematic enough. And so there's a really startling gemara that comes up in Meseches Psachim, which says, There are three people that are considered not to be alive. They can't live a true, um, a true life, a functional life. 
Those who are Rachmanim, who are overly merciful, they give too much of themselves. Rachmanim, those who are easily incensed. And then Anide Hadas, which Tosa explains is an istinus. And Rav Yosef says, Ulkulu istinubi. I, I have all these problems. I ain't looking at Ben Yoyada and others of what he means by saying that. But the real source I wanted to share with you is a fascinating Yerushalmi or Medrash Rabbah that's quoted in Tosos uh, in Bava Basra. It's a story in which Antoninus was going on a trip and Amar Leila Rebbe, Sliolai, pray for me, for my journey. Give me a blessing. So Amar Rebbe says, Hey, Rabbi, that Hashem should save you from the cold. Amar is that a prayer? You know, just just all you have to do is just go ahead, put on another layer, and you'll be fine. So rather, Rebbe said, Ah, here's a better prayer. You should be saved from the intense heat. And Amr Antonia says back to Rebbe, Ah, Havadaitsilusa. Now that is a prayer. That's a prayer to be saved from the heat. Now, this is an issue that comes up um, uh, in corporate workspaces, from what I'm familiar with. My my only my only experience in corporate workspaces was one summer in college, I interned at the UJ Federation of New York. Um, and apparently, there's always a battle during the summer about air condition controls in corporate buildings. Some people say it's too cold. Some people say it's too hot. And so there's actually a chuva the Chavonachlaso based on this discussion here in Tosos, in which um, he gives preference based on this Tosos that the heat is worse than the cold. If you're cold, put on another layer. If you're too hot, uh, turn on the AC for them. So this is this has been something that's been on my mind for quite a while. I'll just throw in just one last little tidbit. What's really fascinating, and I'm still, this is kind of a study I'm looking into right now, is that the Pator of Istanis appears to be given out on an individual basis. Right, so Ram Gamliel, Rav Yosef, and others, on an individual basis, they get a dispensation for being an istinus. However, what's fascinating is that in recent times, Achronim seem to have given wholesale heterim to entire populations as having a status of an istinus. Uh, most notably in Hilchos Avelis, in terms of dispensations for um, showering nowadays during Shiva, but also in the Sefer Torah Shabbos, he says, nowadays, he says, all of us in our geographic area, uh, I don't know where, maybe somewhere in Europe, it's very cold and none of us are able to handle the, the cold. So just fascinating to see in recent years how Achronim have expanded from the individual to entire populations. And uh, I'm in the middle of researching what the exact parameters of it are. I hope one day to put something out on it, God willing. But with summer coming, these are very important halachos to know that uh, Hashem cares for us to, to have a degree of comfort in our lives as well. So that was that was idea number one, the sugya of istinus. So interesting. I think that's such an interesting choice. Um, and it's so cool to find a halacha and really apply it to our lives. And I think that's a great um, example. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. All right. We're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk um, still sort of, you know, has been implications of person to person interactions. I want to talk about Onas Dvarim. Onas Dvarim basically means that you're not supposed to oppress somebody with words. You're not supposed to 
say things to people that will offend them, that will cause them emotional distress. Now, you can imagine, especially in the current um, political climate we live in today, this is a very important sugya because let me give you a scenario that's, you know, it happens all the time in which someone will express an opinion on a particular relevant issue. And another person might say, well, I'm very offended by the idea that you just expressed. I don't think it's right for you to share that, at least publicly. And so what happens is, is that we have this tension many times between the person who wants to express their opinion on an issue and the person who's saying, well, I'm offended by um, the content or how you are expressing that opinion. So the question is, who wins? You know, who has to accommodate whom in such a situation? Who does Halakha give preference to? So I came by a tshuva from Rav Moshe Feinstein. It was cited in the Saver Kuntras, you know, of course, Kuntras Onastvar, right? Uh, which would obviously be a definitive safer on the topic. And Rav Moshe Feinstein's dealing with not precisely this case, but in principle with the same matter. The case that Ramosha Feinstein deals with at the beginning of a second volume of Evan Ezer is that there's two brothers. The younger brother finds a shidduch, finds, you know, someone to get married to before the older brother. And the question is that the Shoal is asking is, should the younger brother delay his wedding to give the older brother more time to uh, find a suitable mate? Um, and one of the considerations, you know, whether it's right or wrong that he feels that way, um, the older brother seems to be indicating that he feels some form of, for lack of better term, humiliation or busha, that um, his younger brother was successful before he was. So the question I was asked for Ramosha is, should he have to delay the wedding? So Ramosha, he deals, of course, with the period of Arivia being a mitzvah, he shouldn't be postponing a mitzvah. But one consideration he puts in, which I thought was very instructive, is that he says, The thing is, Ramosha Feinstein says, is that when you, the younger brother, go ahead and get married, you're not causing busha, you're not causing humiliation to your brother. You are doing something that's neutral, and your brother is interpreting that as something that is problematic. And Ramosha adds, You can't, you couldn't do anything in life then. You know, imagine someone gets into uh, a certain college or yeshiva program that their peer, unfortunately, didn't get into, even though they wanted to. Should it mean I shouldn't ex take that acceptance into that prestigious program because someone else, unfortunately, didn't have the same opportunity? Now, on the one hand, of course, you don't want to be lowing the rush. You don't want to flaunt anything. It has to be done with a certain element of tznias. One shouldn't flaunt what they have. But at the same time, one should be able to go on with their life normally and while being sensitive at the same time. So based on this idea, the Kuntras of Onastavar explicates it. He says, What is the prohibition of Onastavar? For me to cause distress to you. However, but if you are taking a neutral situation and you are being mitzar yourself, you can't blame the person, the other party for causing distress to you. If you are interpreting a neutral situation and then bringing that visceral reaction, upon, even if, even if it seems, even if it's, um, 
even if it is not a voluntary reaction. And by the way, I think, I haven't seen others who connect this, I'm sure there are, Lafianius Daiti, this is how to read a very um, a very difficult Ramah. The Ramah says, very vague and ambiguous, Mishima ana es atzmo mutter lehoniho. Someone who causes distress to himself, you're allowed to cause him distress as well, which is really odd when you think about it, because, so you're saying, if I strike myself, uh, that's not so passionate, that's not, not so clear that that gives someone else permission to strike me as well. So why if I cause distress myself, did someone else cause distress to me? What kind of what kind of permission is that? That's terrible. So the Nose Kalim are, are, are trying to figure out what the Ramah is saying, and there aren't really uh Lafinius there aren't really many satisfactory explanations. But I thought maybe this is what the Ramah is referring to. Mishima Anas Atmo, someone who's taking a neutral situation and is causing the distress to himself. Then, Mutter Lohonio, you're allowed to go on and say what you, you know, express your opinion on a particular issue unencumbered just because someone else finds that to be offensive. Um, I think there is, of course, more nuance. You have to distinguish. There can be a difference between certain kinds of humor versus sharing an idea. There is the manner in which you express an idea. Um, so I think there's certainly more room for nuance. But as we say in rabbinic jargon, in kamakum laharich. Um, we, we'd have to expand upon that another time. So Onas Devarim, I think, is a really important concept because this is something that many people, myself, just being working as a rabbi, but I think anyone experiences at some point in their life or their career. And just seeing that the Torah has some guidance on the issue, I think it's important to see it through the Torah prism. So that's that was idea number two. Absolutely. Um, it's a super important thing to take with us in all aspects of life. Um, in all walks of life, everything we do. Um, and I think the Gemara in Baba Metzia, um teaches that it's worse to hurt someone personally and financially because like money can be replaced. And I think the Gemara also in Baba Metzia, I think a bit later on, so, talks about um, Rav Yochanan and Rish Lakish, the whole story with them. Um, and I think all these examples just really demonstrate the importance of how we work and treat with other people. Absolutely. Very well said. Yeah, that, that Gemara above Metziah is like the locus classicus over there. Um, and that's right. That is one as far as given. Very important. And then, of course, the whole falling out with Rav Yochan and Rish Lakish, which is very tragic. Um, that very much speaks to that point as well. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, okay, let's let's get to our, to our crescendo. Let's get to our third and final idea. Uh, uh, again, coming a little bit back to my personal experience, um, uh, thank God, and my wife and I were were, were blessed with a a young, beautiful daughter, and uh, we had a little bit of a challenge in the first year because my wife was working. I don't know if anyone knows Connecticut geography over here. We're in Stanford right now. My wife was working at Bridgeport. Basically, it was a forty minute commute to get in the morning, and she worked at a school, and so she had to get in the car really early, like six something in the morning. So for almost a year, you know, maybe a little under a year, every workday. I was bringing my daughter to Shacharis, to 6.30 a.m. Shacharis every morning. And um, she actually um, so far has a, I hate to say it, she has a better track record than many of the adults in terms of minion attendance. And uh, she really, you know, became a part of the minion experience. But one of the challenges that I was always trying to figure out and navigate is that, uh, you know, inevitably, um, a child, while it might be a welcome appearance, uh, definitely brought the age average down a little bit. Uh, it's still, you know, there's a little bit of a disturbance. 
inevitably it's a sick ratio like they're going to make noise at some point they're going to be some source of distraction or someone will just say oh that's so cute you know and then they won't be doubting the same level of kavana so it really encouraged me to look into the question of well again through the torah prism through our tradition what can i see in the sources that talk about children in shul and um again i, I don't want to make too many infomercials i'm only showing you with ideas that i've thought through a lot already so there is there is a piece in the lairhouse about that and uh, Mir Tashem should be should be published in an upcoming book, God willing, in a few months from now. But I'll share with you a highlight uh, of what I saw on the Sudya. So there's a Gemara that, um, again, I, I never want to say something's well-known because if someone doesn't know it, that's not well-known. But there is an iconic Gemara, Meseches Chagiga, which talks about the mitzvah of Hakel, of everyone coming once every seven years in order to hear the Torah sections of Devarim read by the king. And the Torah instructs us explicitly that the children need to come as well. Now, Machlokas were showing him exactly what age the children are, but there are young children coming. And the Gemara asks, Tafam Abayin, why did the children come? To give reward to those who bring them. Leave on the side exactly what that means for now. But then, Amr Lahem, he responds, Margolis Tova Haisa B'yerchem B'kash Adlimeni, Rashid says, that you had this beautiful pearl and you decided to hide it from me? So it's not really clear what's so amazing about the answer of the Gemara. And furthermore, you know, there's a lot of great Teirutzim and Shas. There's a lot of great answers and brilliant ideas that you see throughout, throughout the entire corpus of the Gemara. So why did this particular answer merit such a response? So I think the answer is, and I believe I saw this in the Mesha Chachma at a later point, that it's connected to a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos tells us, Chamisha Tamidim Hayul Rabbi Yochum ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochum ben Zakkai had five students. One of them was Rabbi Yeshua ben Chenania. And what was the special praise that he had for Yeshua ben Chenania? He said, Ashrei Yolatito. Praiseworthy is the one who gave birth to you. Now, one way to understand it, is praiseworthy is, you know, your mother. She should be shepping lots of Yiddish and Achas. She should be so proud of you becoming such a big Talmud Chacham, such a big scholar. But then the big question is, well, you would hope that all of the various rabbis' mothers were shepping Yiddish and Achas for them. So what was so special about Rabbi Yeshua's mother? It seems not to be a praise so much about Rabbi Yeshua. It seems to be more of a praise of something his mother must have done. And what is that? So the Bartonur quotes from the Gemara in Yerushalmi, which tells us, she was the cause that he became a Tamachacham. How so? Because she would go before he was born, when he was just in the womb, she would ask all the Tabine Chachamim to pray that he should grow and become a Tamachacham. And once he was born, her job was not done. Then, once he was born, he would, she would not take his crib out of the base Medrash. So that she, the, the thing that he would be hearing day in, day out are words of Torah, even at such a young age. Now, this would explain the Gemara, if you look back in, the, in Chagiga, the Gemara in Chagiga, I say look back and I have, I have a sheet in front of me, that's why. I'm happy to share a source with anyone who wants to reach out, by the way. You can do my contact. The Gemara Chagiga, who's the Amr Lahem? Who's responding and saying, this beautiful pearl, you decide to hide it from me. Who was the, the, the town there who's saying that? That was Rabbi Yeshua. 
Rabbi Yeshua, the same, the one who appreciated how great it was that his mother took him to shul and took him to the base medrash in order to absorb those words of Torah. So that same Rabbi Yeshua, when he heard about the importance of bringing children to Hakel, and Tosas extrapolates it to shul as well, that's why he had this amazing epiphany, this amazing moment where he said, ah, this beautiful pearl, this is how I became the Rabbi Yeshua. This is how I became who I was, all because of my mother who brought me to shul and who brought me to the base medrash. And now, Lest you think, what's a child really going to gain at such a young age from coming into the base medrash? So a, you know, you have to always quote the Mama, right? So a, um, a gentleman named Barry Best, who um, used to live in our community, and he he moved elsewhere once he got married. So it's, a, I don't know if you say former congregant, once a congregant, always a congregant. But he pointed me to this very fascinating source, Nitzotze or River Vimer Gullis, who notices that throughout the Mishnayis, Reshua a number of times will share a halacha, but he'll say something like the ain li lafarish. But I don't really have like a full grasp to fully elucidate um, the reasoning behind it. And this happens a few times throughout Shas. Now you'll think, you know, Rabbi Yeshua, uh, you, you you get the Rosh Yeshiva pay grade, right? You're like you're on the the Moetis Gadoli Torah. You're one of the greatest uh, Torah scholars in generation. You know that that's your job to find out the reason for us. How like were you not taking um, notes that day in Sheer? So he explains. These halachas that he was sharing that he didn't have a clear grasp on, those were the halachas that he heard when he was a child coming to shul. And so it's amazing. He would never have even heard those halachas or knew them at all had he not been brought to shul in the first place. And these statements that he learned as a child are now codified in our Mishnayis and in Shas as well. And that just speaks to the remarkable nature of the content and also the character that a child could be could be built and infused within a child by being brought to shul as well. Thankfully, I can say um, my wife now works local and um, my daughter doesn't have to come to davening every morning, but she's very excited to go to shul on Shabbos. And she's always asking us to drag her to shul. She thinks it's a, it's a party all the time whenever people are there. So she's excited. And um, I think there's definitely challenges. There's what to discuss further about the challenges of balancing people's kavana with the opportunity that children get coming to shul. But I think it's a it's a really beautiful thing. And um, I would personally love to see more people at Minion in the morning. And maybe the way to get people to commit to Minion and coming to Shirim is just instilling that in the culture at a young age. And so I think this story, Rabbi Yeshua, the way he became Rabbi Yeshua was his mother bringing him to shul. And I think that's something that uh, we could all learn about raising the next generation. So uh, those are my three ideas. And uh, I want to thank you again for, for having me on. I want to thank all the listeners. And uh, of course, I'm, I'm more than happy. You can put my email out there somewhere, rabbikurtz at cs-stanford.org. And I'm happy to uh, follow up with anyone who has questions and wants to delve deeper into these ideas. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing really inspiring Torah with us. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to Desert Island Torah. Feel free to share our podcast with family and friends so that we can reach out to Amisrael. And if you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to download and subscribe. And if you want to discuss your own Desert Island Torah, get in touch at desertislandtorah at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.